What's the name of your podcast? Psychosis. Like, psychosis, because we're sisters. Hi guys, welcome back to our podcast. I'm Kimberly. And I'm Mary. And we are Psychosis. Welcome to our holiday episode. We hope everyone is having a fun and safe holiday season. Honestly, I'm not sure how it's possible that this year flew by so quickly. I agree. Like, wasn't it just, wasn't it just January? (laughs) No, it really feels like that. Um. I swear, as we get older, the years just go by so much faster. (laughs) We're going to be getting together as we do every year at our parents' house to celebrate the holidays. And it's a very nice time because it's seriously the one time of year that we actually all get together because we live in different parts of the state. This is true. It'll be fun. It will be fun. What are you guys our listeners doing please share with us your holiday plans on our instagram at psychosis underscore podcast send us a dm or message us on our story and let us know what you're doing this holiday season this episode is going to be very sad i am going to be covering the west covina christmas massacre that occurred in covina california on christmas eve in 2008 although this is an awful and pretty big case I don't feel like it's super well-known, so I thought it would be really good to cover. Do you know anything about this case? I've never even heard of it. Really? I don't think so. Okay. So I will get into it right now. On Christmas Eve 2008, the Ortega family invited their adult children and their children's families to their home at 1129 East Knollcrest Drive in Covina, California. Covina is about 22 miles east of Los Angeles. It doesn't tend to have a lot of crime. It's more of like a quiet suburban town. But as we all know, for with our love of true crime, it doesn't really matter where we live because bad things can happen in good places. Joseph, 79, and Alice, 70, absolutely loved Christmas. It was their favorite time of the year. Joseph and Alice Ortega knew each other for just three weeks when they decided to get married in Mexico in 1955. On their honeymoon, Alice told Joseph that when they die, she would have to go first because she loved him so much and she could not ever live without him. And he replied with Dios no te oiga, which means God doesn't hear you. Hopefully I didn't completely butcher that. Shout out to Mariella for helping me. They especially love to spend time with their two oldest sons, James, 52, and Charles, 50, and their daughters, Alicia, 46, Sylvia, 43, and Leticia, who I believe was around 37. The five older children would bring their own families to celebrate Christmas at their parents' house. It was a really fun time spent together. They would eat, play poker, and play other fun family games. A lot of the the times, the adults would mingle while the children would play around the pool that they had in the backyard or play video games. 
This included a 17-year-old who was playing video games on a computer upstairs at the house. In total, there was 25 to 30 family members hanging out, so it was a really awesome time to be spending with the family. It was starting to get late on Christmas Eve, and everybody was preparing to head home. The adults were standing towards the front of the house, finishing up conversation and saying their goodbyes, when at 11.30 p.m. there was a knock on the door. Eight-year-old Katrina Yusuf Pelosky ran to the door to open it, and when she opened the door, standing there was Santa Claus holding a gift. She was obviously super ex- excited. She was screaming. She was jumping up and down, thinking that Santa was there to bring her a gift. As eight-year-old Katrina ran to greet Santa, he shot her in the face. Santa would turn out to be 45-year-old Bruce Jeffrey Pardo, the uncle of Katrina. He was married to Sylvia Pardo, and Katrina is the daughter of Leticia. The present Santa was carrying ended up being a rolling air compressor converted to deliver gasoline from it, and he had at least four 9mm semi-automatic handguns on him. After shooting little Katrina, the, the adults and everybody started screaming. Bruce then fired indiscriminately at everybody while they tried to flee the scene. Some were able to escape the house and run outside the front with the children. Joseph and Alice Ortega and their three daughters, Alicia, Sylvia, and Leticia, as well as their daughter-in-law, Teresa, tried to hide under the dining room table. But unfortunately, this did not protect them because Bruce was shooting everywhere and anywhere that he possibly could. After eight-year-old Katrina was shot, James was the second to be shot. As this happened, his brother Charles recognized the gunman and was able to yell, it's Bruce, to warn everybody who could hear him. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's so scary. Yeah, it's just Bruce, actual nightmare. (laughs) Yeah. After Charles warned everybody that it was Bruce, Bruce ended up shooting Charles as well. Even though both James and Charles were shot, they attempted to get to him and restrain him, but they were unsuccessful. Joseph and Alice and their two daughters, Sylvia and Alicia, were then shot and killed. The only daughter to survive was Leticia, and she is the mom of eight-year-old Katrina. Police speculate that Bruce may have actually stood over some of the victims and executed them using other handguns that he had brought. After opening fire with the handguns and shooting, Bruce then unwrapped the package that he was carrying, which contained a compressor used to spray gasoline to set the home on fire. Because of the fire and all the people who were able to escape, multiple 911 calls did occur. And I'm going to play those for you right now. Are you 911? Yes, I'm on Northwest Avenue. Uh I'm a homicidal guide. And he's he my little cousin right now. Okay, is there, can you tell if there's anybody injured? Because we have fire department and officers en route. Hello, hello. Hi. Please come immediately. Who's in your house? Immediately. Ma'am, is the guy in your house right now? Two, we're having two houses down on the cookie section. Okay, okay. Ma'am, ma'am, hold on. Hold on. Is he at your house? No, he's just shooting. What do you think his name is, Bruce? His name is Bruce Cardell. Okay, and who is he to you guys? Okay. I know, I know, ma'am. Just stay on the phone with me, okay? My 
was extremely powerful and devastating it burned 40 to 50 feet high it took 85 firefighters to put it out and it took over an hour and a half to extinguish unfortunately nine people were killed either by gunshots or due to the fire because of the intensity of the fire it was extremely hard to identify some of the victims and so they had to be identified via dental records and medical records oh my gosh that's that's pretty brutal Yeah, it's horrible. Most of the guests, including almost all of the children, luckily were able to escape. This is thought to be because of where they were located in the house when the shots first broke out. So like I said earlier, a lot of the kids were playing in the backyard or they were towards the back of the house. There was a pool back there. They were playing video games and all of that. Three people were wounded but survived, including eight-year-old Katrina. So Katrina luckily did survive. The bullet glazed her cheek and jaw. A 16-year-old girl was shot and wounded in the back, but also survived. A 20-year-old woman suffered a broken ankle jumping out of the second floor window. My gosh, that poor little girl who got shot in the face by Santa. Mm. I mean, I'm glad she lived, but can you imagine the trauma from human experiencing that that's so devastating i can't imagine the ptsd she must have and i really hope that she was able to find really good therapy joseph ortega died from multiple gunshot wounds his wife alice died from a gunshot wound to the abdomen four of their children died charles james sylvia and alicia They all died from both gunshot wounds and the fire. And this part makes me, the whole case is really sad, but this part really just like pulls at my heartstrings. Alicia's son, Michael, he was a 17-year-old who was alone playing upstairs. He died alone. He was thought to have had headphones on at the time when the gunshots broke out. And so he was unable to initially hear them. The explosion from the gas is what had killed him. Charles' wife, Cherry, and James's wife, Teresa, also died in the fire. Police immediately questioned the survivors about if they knew who was responsible, and multiple survivors were able to identify him as Bruce Pardo and tell the police that. There were also neighbors who were able to verify that they saw Bruce leaving around 11.45 p.m. from their street, so just 15 minutes after he knocked on the door. I mean, that's so, they got very, I mean, it's, nobody's lucky in this situation, but they got very lucky with the person that was able to yell out who the shooter was. I mean, obviously he got killed, so that's unfortunate, but at least he, in a way, I guess, was able to 
give his family some closure or give the police a lead and kind of tie up the loose ends. Probably was super hard to identify him otherwise because he, again, was dressed as Santa. So he was completely in costume, which is horrifying. It's a nightmare to think about. Um, I believe that was Charles who was able to yeah. do it, which is, you know, good for him. Really scary. But I'm glad that he was also able to identify the shooter. After setting the home on fire, Bruce put on his street clothes and took off in his Dodge Caliber rental car. The police were able to put a APB out, which is an all points bulletin to be on the lookout for his vehicle. While this was happening, 911 received a call in Somar, California, which is about an hour from Covina from a man named Brad Pardo. Brad said he had just come home from a Christmas party at his house in Somar when he found his brother, Bruce, laying in a pile of blood at his house. A bullet hole was found in the ceiling and Bruce had an exit wound at the top of his head, which suggested he placed the gun in his mouth before pulling the trigger. Of course he did. Why? I just don't understand the point of all of these people that go and do a mass murder or kill somebody else and then they take their own life. It's just, I just don't understand. I think it is completely senseless. A nine millimeter handgun was found in his hand, which is what he used to commit suicide. Another gun was found on the floor next to him and another gun was found on his lap. He was found with $10,000 and police also found a key to his rental car, which was a short distance from his brother's house. In the car, detectives found additional ammunition and detectives noticed a suspicious device in the car and called the bomb squad to defuse it. After the bomb squad arrived... It was ignited, but nobody was hurt. They also found the Santa suit that he was wearing covered in gunpowder residue. At Bruce's house, police found four more guns, including 200 rounds of ammunition, five boxes of ammunition for semi-automatic handguns, two shotguns, and a container of gas. It is believed Bruce never intended to actually kill himself. Detectives discovered Bruce intended to flee to Canada because he had bought an airline ticket for the flight on Air Canada. However, it was also discovered that he had a flight from L.A. to Malloyne, Illinois. I think that's how you pronounce it, with a layover in Minnesota. Bruce had called his friend who lived out there to tell him that he was planning to visit. Investigators were unsure if he actually intended to visit or if the flight was just to fool investigators and throw them off their tracks. Reports stated that the Santa suit had melted during the flamethrower portion of his attack and had actually melted into his skin. Bruce ended up severely injured by the gas and the fire, which caused him to have second and third degree burns. And it is believed that he realized it would be impossible to get on a plane and try to flee. Instead, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Um, Is that because of his injuries that he figured he would be caught by somebody trying to leave the state or the country? Yeah, I think that he was worried that people would 
stop him and notice or and also he needed medical attention right and you can't go into a hospital with a melted santa suit into your skin and not cause a red flag you cannot do that instead he changed his clothes fled to his brother's house and chose to end his life there according to toxicology cocaine was found in his urine and his blood suggesting he was high when he committed the crimes Police Chief Kim Rainey said it could have been something to drive him, to amp him up, and to get him through that. They don't believe that um, he did coke regularly, that this was something he took to give him the adrenaline to go commit the crimes. Do they have a reason why he would do this? Perfect timing, because I'm about (laughs) to get into the background of Bruce and Sylvia. So Bruce and Sylvia met in 2004, and were married in 2006. Their life was great at first. They lived in Montrose, California, owned a half a million dollar home. Bruce worked at ITT as an electrical engineer, and their future was looking bright. The house was located near the Holy Redeemer Church, and Bruce would volunteer there as an usher at the Children's Mass, and he had actually been scheduled to serve at the mass the next day at Christmas. They owned a dog together, and Sylvia had a job where she worked at a flower breeding company. They had three children, including a five-year-old daughter, and Sylvia had two children from a previous marriage. Bruce made about $122,000 at the time at his job, so he was making really good money. And in just two years, the couple was able to save $80,000 just as a backup fund, But by 2007, everything started to go downhill. Sylvia and Bruce were sleeping in separate rooms. Sylvia was spending time at her parents' house, and eventually she filed for divorce. As we know, Bruce was not a good man. He refused to get a joint account when they were together, which made things really tough on Sylvia. Sylvia was bringing in just about $31,000 a year, but compared to Bruce, it was just very little income. He also refused to provide anything for her children. He didn't want to support them at all, especially since he said that he came to their relationship with no children of his own. Therefore, he shouldn't have to support her children. Oh, my gosh. It's like you're you when you choose to be with somebody who has kids, you are choosing them. They are a package deal. You don't just choose a parent. Yeah, you can't pick and choose family members that you want to be your family. I know. And it's like, this should have been discussed before they decided to finalize And you know? Sylvia did find out that Bruce actually did have a child. Uh He had a son named Matthew from his previous wife, whom he had not seen in years. So has he not seen the kid either? Yep. So... This would never have been an issue with Sylvia, especially since she had children of her own. But the issue was that he had lied to her about it. Even though Bruce hadn't seen Matthew in years, he still chose to claim him as a dependent for his taxes. Of course. (laughs) In 2001, Bruce was watching his son while his wife ran some errands, which should be fine. A a father should be able to look after his own child. But while his wife was running errands, 
Somehow, Matthew ended up in the family pool in their Woodland Hills home where he suffered brain damage. How old was he at the time? I believe he was like 12 or 13 months. Oh, 12 or 13 months. I thought Mm -hmm. you said years. Okay. Oh, man. He was very, very little. Eventually, Bruce found him in the pool lying face down and unconscious. And his wife came home around this time. And when she found Bruce, Bruce was frozen, not moving or doing anything. He was just holding Matthew. Luckily, she was able to call 911 and they were able to rush him to the ER and then airlift him and have him transferred to the Children's Hospital of L.A. Matthew was able to be resuscitated, but he would be wheelchair bound the rest of his life and need round the clock care. That's so sad. Bruce and his ex-wife separated six months later, and then that's when Bruce began to act as if they never existed. In the first year, their son's care reached $340,000. Bruce didn't want to pay his ex-wife, and so she ended up suing him, and she was awarded $100,000 homeowner's insurance and a trust fund of $240 a month, which was set up to go towards their son's care. $240 a month is literally nothing. No, not at all. Once the settlement was done in August of 2002, Bruce stopped all contact with them. Bruce's mother, however, remained in contact with them. And she is a queen because she is the one who told Sylvia about Matthew. Oh, my gosh. I mean, again, I'm giving it to the parents because I feel like you only really hear about the times that they don't do the right thing mm-hmm. in these situations so it's nice to hear that I mean I would like to think if my kid did something horrific that I would do the right thing I agree. So don't hear about it as much yeah more power to his mom because she seemed to be the only one with logical sense between the two of them Sylvia filed court papers asking for attorney fees and asked for spousal support of $3,166 a month. She also said that Bruce spent a huge chunk of their savings and drew it down from $88,000 to $17,000 in just two months. On what? I have zero idea. That's a lot of money to spend in two months. I know. I have no idea what he was spending it on, but that would make me extremely angry as well. So she went to the court and was trying to fight to get some of that back. She was awarded the requested payments in June 2008, but in July 2008, just one month later, Bruce lost his job for billing false hours. Bruce sounds like a real stellar human he he sounds like a gemstone (laughs) my gosh it's like i know you don't think he could possibly get any worse and then he's like i know it's it it literally goes from like wait that's not it there's more (laughs) oh my gosh so after bruce lost his job he complained that his monthly expenses were eight thousand nine hundred dollars and he had a monthly deficit of two thousand six hundred and seventy eight dollars he also had thirty one thousand dollars in credit card debt and a twenty 
$700 monthly mortgage payment. Didn't he just spend like, I, I, I can't math right now, but didn't he just spend like $60,000 in two months? He did. And how do we have so much debt? I have no <laughs> idea. He was horrible with money and made uh, clearly horrible financial decisions. Just all around a horrible human. All around. Because he lost his job due to filing false hours, he did not qualify for unemployment and he couldn't find work. So the courts did lower his monthly payments to Sylvia from 3000 something to just a little over 1000 And he was required to also pay fees for any missed payments that he never paid, paid her. Just a week before the massacre, the courts waived all fees and awarded Bruce the house. However, he still had to pay $10,000 to her, give her back her wedding ring that he took, but she was also awarded their dog. Couldn't he have just sold the house to make up this money? You would think. Instead of killing an entire household of people. You would think. I don't know why men, not all men, but some men. Men. (laughs) Just kidding. Not all men. Not all men. Some men. (laughs) He was mad because he felt that after giving her the money he owed, giving her her ring back, that she didn't have any expenses. She moved back with her parents. She wasn't paying rent. She bought a new car. She was going to Vegas. She was treating herself. She was going to golf lessons. She was going shopping. And she was a thriving queen and that annoyed him i mean after dealing with him she should be thriving she should be living her best life she honestly should be oh my gosh it is believed because of all of that he saw how well she was doing without him that he carried out this massacre i mean that just seems a tad bit extreme if you ask me yeah i would i i would say so (laughs) um The only surviving daughter, Leticia, started a blog called Leticia's Hope, where she writes about her experiences, healing, love, family, and tries to also help others dealing with tragedy. Her daughter, who was shot, now advocates for those who have been affected by gun violence. At least 13 children were orphaned after this massacre. Wow. And did not need to happen. It did not. And two children lost one of their parents. So majority of them lost both of their parents. Gosh. Gosh. It I'm assuming, did he like know all of these people in the house or was he just shooting and at anybody? Because he didn't even know people were upstairs, right? So he was just, so he was just going on a rampage. Yeah, so he didn't, I guess, know who was in the house at the time. He kind of just went in there. Blindly. Exactly. However, he was very familiar with, you know, his family. He knew the layout of the house, obviously, which is terrifying. But no, he didn't, I guess, know at the time who exactly was in the house and who would be home. Oh, my God. What, like, that just seems like, like a horrible coincidence to just you know go over there for 
Christmas dinner and then this happens. Yeah, it's it's horrible. And like y- you and I grew up, we had Christmas parties every year. Oh my gosh. I mean, the house had like 50 people at it. Every and, single year. And they weren't even our like blood family. They were friends and coworkers and people like that. I just can't imagine somebody coming to our house and doing that. No, me neither. It's not even a thought that I had, you know, growing up, obviously, who would think this would happen to them? But now it's a terrifying thought to have that some deranged human could come dressed as Santa on Christmas and just shoot and kill everybody in a matter of minutes. Five years after the massacre, the surviving daughter continued on the family tradition of dinner recreating recipes from her late mother and the remaining family members would all meet for dinner, exchange gifts. They continued to share memories and play games, but a Christmas day trip to church now is always followed by a trip to the cemetery, which gives me the chills. It makes me so sad for them. Totally just got chills as well, but it is nice that they continued the tradition. And I mean, Obviously, a trip to the cemetery is sad, but in a way, it's kind of nice that they're at least all together. Yeah, they're still like honoring them and letting their memory live on. As of 2013, so 2013 was a while ago now, but as far back as I could find, 10 detectives who worked the case still had remained with the department. I'm not sure if they're still there, but in 2013, A lot of them would continue to swing by where the house once stood. It was an empty lot for a couple years after the fire and the massacre occurred, but they claimed that they could actually still smell smoke in the air from that night because that's how much this incident stuck with them. that's That's traumatizing for them too. I know. When I do Google the address, it looks like a house was built on what used to be an empty lot in 2017 or about 2018. So a new family lives there. And that is the horrific Christmas Eve massacre that occurred in Covina, California. It was a tragic and senseless event due to a bitter divorce. We see divorce end in tragedy way too often and it just it does not have to happen like that just take the l folks take <laughs> the l take the l walk away <laughs> we exactly. don't we don't need to be taking it out on the significant other this goes to men and women i'm sure I'm sure maybe you know it's happened probably not few <laughs> <laughs> and far in between men but, but i'm sure there's probably a woman scorned out there who who may have done it um but it just seems like it's, it's so senseless it's so senseless and i think what people i mean i don't know the psychology behind any of it but i think what people don't realize is that is that things are temporary like Sure, it sucks in the moment and it might suck for a couple years, but it's temporary and 5, 10, 15 years down the line, like nobody's even going to be thinking about it anymore. Right. And yeah, you lost your job. I mean, but you did some shady things to lose your job, but eventually you'd probably get another job again and you'd get the money again and everything would be back to quote unquote normal. Yeah, because I mean, Bruce, 
he had, I didn't talk too much about him because I don't want to focus too much on him, but he did have a college education. He was a very smart man. I hate to say that, but he had a very good career (laughs) and he could have got back on his feet and this did not have to happen. And this was 2008 and wasn't crash in 2008 wasn't everybody losing their jobs and nobody was out there yeah because I graduated college in 2008 and then I got laid off (laughs) (laughs) and I didn't go on a rampage so it did not not need to happen it's a horrific uh, it's a horrific crime and it makes me feel just so bad for Sylvia and also her parents and her siblings the whole family gone poor little girl I know. I think she would be now about 23, 24-ish. So it looks like she's advocating for a lot of like school shootings that happen and people who are experienced gun violence. And I'm so happy she survived. And I hope all of the other children, all the other 13 children also are thriving. Thank you so much for listening, going down this rabbit hole with us. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at psychosis underscore podcast and send us an email at the psychosis podcast at gmail.com if there is a case you would like us to cover in California. Until next time, bye. Bye.